some life event didn't do this. Joey changed his medication. Has Joey responded well in the past to medication? Yes. Are we getting consistent care right now? No. People that are severely depressed, they don't feel like there's any way out. They feel hopeless. It feels unbearable. You feel awful about what it's doing to your wife and your kids. You wouldn't feel ashamed about taking blood pressure medicine because you had a blood pressure problem. That is something that I just think is so frustrating to me. There's so much stigma, you know, with mental health that it's like, no, 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 your brain, it's sick. This was a new dynamic that I was still getting kind of used to, I guess. Then for your pastor, not only to go from being on your level from a friend perspective to falling into a position of need, but it was eye-opening to see this person who usually is the person that everybody goes to when they're in need and the roles kind of switched there. I felt like I was helping my friend. I need to help my friend first and this pastor stuff will take care of itself later. Just because I don't believe or agree doesn't mean I can't learn from you. Why did you have to bring that up? Okay, that one I'm super embarrassed about. <laughs> Do you like me? Do I like you? Yeah. As, a, as an individual or as yeah, a podcast? Yeah, as a person. No, I like you. Okay, cool, yeah. cool. And I don't have any interest in appearing to be stronger than I am. I ain't bowed a Nebuchadnezzar statue. He gonna leave. You feel me? How do we love people who see the world differently than we do? What would it look like if we truly loved all of our neighbors? Could listening to their stories be the first step? This is Seacoast Church, and there's way more to talk about. What's up, everybody? Hey, before we proceed, let's have a little fun. So pain experienced in our mental health is real to me and no laughing matter, but laughing always good. And what a way to start a discussion on such a difficult topic, maybe laughing some. And maybe as we laugh, whisper a prayer to God, if you're a prayer type person, and ask for a deeper understanding of real people with real struggles and mental health, or perhaps more understanding on how you could personally become healthier in this arena. Maybe you're struggling deeply, but what a thought to say a quick prayer for ourselves and one another while we laugh a bit. So the last four episodes of this podcast is a series that looks at some Miracle Services Seacoast experience back in 2019. And I put together some outtakes of a lot of those conversations. If you listen to that series, I'm thinking you'll enjoy this. For all of you, your podcast player likely has a skip to the next track function. And if you click that, you'll jump right into our series on mental health. Do you think that you could have played your hand, so to speak, differently? And if you would have done a back-to-back service with similar results, this could have turned into worldwide news similar to what's going on in is it Salisbury. Is that how you say it? Uh, Asbury. Asbury. Yeah. Asbury. Yeah. That's a, yeah. Is that Salisbury a steak? steak? That's a steak. Yeah. <laughs> you got him going to Sweet 16? No, I just have him winning one game. And then losing to Virginia? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or Furman. Good if it goes! Lance in London, they were working on a record in, in Nashville and just happened to write with Josh Silverberg, who's a phenomenal writer and producer in Nashville. Did not know that. He's low-key. He's the man. He knows what he's doing. Um, <laughs> and he's, I'll, t- I'll tell he, our he listeners, when, when we were all getting in, in the studio, it was taking Josh just a second for the audio to come in. And I- <laughs> 
I've learned over the years of podcasting, be careful what sort of things you suggest. So I, I did the right thing. I said, are you tech savvy? And Micah, you're like, yeah, well, he's building a studio. So I was like, okay, I'm not making any suggestions because <laughs> I was going to go system preferences. <laughs> you did the right it's, thing, Joey. It's the computer plugged in. <laughs> Oh, man. That's so good. She had a severe allergy to eggs to where, like, if she ate them, she would go into anaphylactic shock. And and she was healed of that that night. Um, I mean, I'm not trying to be joking, but how did they know that they, like, bring her an egg? Yeah, they tested it. Yeah. Um, Where'd you guys find an egg? Well, she went to a... go get an egg. Go get an egg. We got to test this right now. She went to her allergist and they like safely tested it. All right, guys. Do y'all feel like it's a compliment that I invited you three for Theology on Miracles? Like, do you think, man, we're really smart? Anytime anybody invites me anywhere, my initial question is, do you have the right Jack Hoy? Oh. oh. Right. The answer, by the way, is no. You're no. Right. It usually is. Yeah. Yeah. We do not have the right Jack Hoy. <laughs> Who's smarter, Chip or Julie? Jack? I'm not answering that question. Why not? It's a terrible... Because I know that... That's a terrible question. Because, That's ridiculous, right, Julie. Because wow. it, even if I'm honest right, and right, say, right. Julie, I, what does that get me? Just a month of Chip <laughs> giving me a hard time. I will answer it. I will answer it. I am. Okay. Yes, we'll just go with that. Who's, smart, who's smarter, me or Jack? I am. Okay. <laughs> who's smarter, me or Joey? I am. All right. Wow. Cool. By the way, I'm feeling particularly humble today. How's that? I was displaying that. Oh, my humility. Okay. Yeah. You are a very humble person. Yeah. I know. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. Jack's making is a really, 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 really important point. The reality is Jack's making is a really, 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 really important point. We start thinking we're special. Yeah, exactly. We are, but we're not. Except for you, Joey. You're really special. Thank you. Julie, do you think so too? Am I special? Of course. Yeah. Two people. Heck yeah. You know, you realize we both said it with tongue in cheek. Nope. Julie can't lie like you. She's got too much I, of the I Holy Spirit. I didn't say I her. lied. No, I she's said, got too much of the Holy Spirit. I said I did it with tongue and cheek. <laughs> Can your brother fire you, by the way, if you said that your brother's making all the bad decisions? He's always done that his whole life. I grew up with this shenanigans. Can he, he let you go? He, he could definitely let me go, but he would always have to live with he me. He would pay a big price. <laughs> Consequences. I dare you. <laughs> There's a guy named Toby Slow. Is his name Slow? Yeah. Should I slow? Slow? Um, I'm going to go with slow. Slow. We've got old T. <laughs> old T. Henry T. Yeah. Old T. Dog. <laughs> I probably won't fly. You know, T-Dog. You know, T-Dog. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to go with Toby Slough. So today, we begin a reflection on a journey that no one at Seacoast expected to walk on. At least not quite like this. Right. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> what? Saint did that. Throughout these series of episodes, you'll hear miracle healing accounts from the... the, the Throughout these series of throughout these series of episodes, you'll hear miracle healing accounts from their sip sip <laughs> from the sip sip dip dip sip sip. We hope you enjoy hearing this. We hope you enjoy hearing these accounts. We hope you enjoy hearing these accounts of those who believe. We hope we hope you enjoy hearing these accounts of those who believe have tasted. We hope you enjoy hearing these. Ac-
We hope you enjoy hearing this. We hope you enjoy hearing. We hope you. We hope you. We hope you're enjoying. We hope you enjoy hearing these accounts of those. We hope you enjoy hearing these accounts. Those who believe have tasted a miraculous turnaround. Music will kick in. As it is in heaven. Uh, do a fade out. We can do it naturally. Uh, oh, you want fade. to do the music? Do, uh, <laughs> We're going to use that. And here's Pastor Josh on Seacoast Assembly of God's Roots. Assemblies of God. God's. I'm snickering because you're, you're not Pentecostal. We I could. Assembly of God's. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. BTW. You guys really kill Lincoln? I mean... I'm sorry. You can say, by the way, I just did that for oh, shorthand. Oh, legit. Okay. Yeah, my bad. Okay, I was cool with it. I was like, I mean, I'll, I'll do that. BTW, you guys really kill Lincoln, LOL? <laughs> I did so. And welcome to episode two of the Miracle Services of 2019. Dun, 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 dun. It's so, like, official. Coming to theaters this weekend. <laughs> Sometime. These stories are unreal. These stories are unreal. That sounds like a teen. <laughs> un. These stories. These stories. Oh unreal. my god! Like, like. Well, it. It. Well, like. <laughs> let's like. This is separate state. Nope. Separate Seder. Wow. <laughs> All right. And the credits. I'm sorry. I wanted the. I knew. I knew you needed That's that. Good. Next week. Sorry. I'm throwing away all of our music that we've been yeah. using, and I'm, we're hiring you. <laughs> the destigmatization of mental health challenges is well underway, thankfully, but there's still a ways to go. Many people living healthy lives include maintenance therapy into their regular flow, even. In similar fashion, people are getting regular physicals. A couple of generations younger than me are speeding up this destigmatizing, and society as a whole is now recognizing just how harmful words can be from those who don't know the struggle of clinical mental illness. Just because the organ that happens to be suffering is the one that keeps humans alive, and let's just say scientifically is us, it doesn't remove the profound nature that the brain can have physical malfunctioning. And to rob one of their dignity on these terms is the complete opposite work that Jesus was up to. So for the whole month of Mental Health Awareness May, the discussions at hand will all be mental health related. Next week, Pastor Josh and I talk to Amy Patrick, Elizabeth Gillespie. She's a therapist who married an old college buddy of mine. We'll all speak on the importance of the church and specifically pastors to have recognition that in many cases, the spiritual angle of helping people isn't enough for the challenge at hand in one's mental health. And when it comes to mental health issues, it's imperative the church pulls in professionals who referring congregants to is often the most important next step a pastor can recommend. We also talk about the importance of reshaping expectations people have of pastors and pastors to recognize their need just like anyone else. And all of us, let's watch out for one another, figure out how to keep one another safe, especially now that we have so many tools at our disposal when it comes to staying mentally healthy. We have another conversation that we'll term the anxiety roundtable discussion. We have time with Toby Slough. He was a guest speaker that spoke to the parents of all of our teens, addressing ways in which teens can stay healthy in this tech and social media saturated world they're growing up in. And last Lastly, we'll end with a Q&A. We'd love to answer questions you may have about anything discussed during the series. I'm sure we'll have at least a therapist or two to answer them.
But right now, I can't think of a more appropriate way to start this podcast series than to say, given you hear my voice on these episodes, you must know that behind it is a 30 plus year struggle with anxiety, depression, irrational thinking, OCD, ritualistic behavior. I would go in and out of way tougher seasons than others. But in 2019, many circumstances, some situational lined up for me to crash hard. You'll hear this story for this episode. Originally, the episode with Josh, Surratt, Amy, Patrick, and our guest therapist was supposed to be episode one. But because in that conversation and throughout this whole series, I refer to my mental health crisis back in 2019, this and that, I want you to have context so you know what the heck I'm talking about. So it's a story that covers about five months time. I couldn't work for a few of them, ended up in the hospital for a week and was unfortunately suicidal for a few days there. The whole nine yards. Where's that come from, by the way? Why not 10 yards? Anyway, I did not think the pain would ever end. Now, this isn't the kind of story one wants to be the center of attention for, and thankfully, I'm not. My friend John Mark McMillan will walk you all through a timeline, and you'll see just what took front and center back in that dark season. So for those of you who are fighting, you're not alone, and we understand, and many of us know firsthand, like yours truly, how immense the pain can be. Hey guys, it's John Mark McMillan, and what you are going to hear are clips from Joey's friends, many voices you are well familiar with telling Joey's story, most of the audio recorded years ago. There's many reasons to share stories such as these. Maybe the biggest is that in doing so, one may give an actual stranger a bit of comfort, a reminder they aren't alone. I know personally, when I hear stories of people who have walked in my shoes and know my struggles, I feel less alone. When I have a conversation with someone who was on the other side of of what I'm in, it may not help me feel better at the time, but there has to be something good received, at least on the subconscious level. The intent of this episode is to depict what a mental health crisis can look like. It's a real account, but it's only a snapshot. We'll be jumping from one thing to the next, giving a general picture. An hour simply isn't enough time to be thorough. Chip, I've never seen you rattled, and I wouldn't say you were rattled, but you were like, I haven't seen him like that. Like You were someone that that saw what I was seeing. Like A lot of people heard, but until you see, when you know him so well, looking at that kind of suffering, it just looks pretty horrendous. I don't remember ever really seeing like signs of it or anything like that, and I know that he took medication for it. This is Robbie Madison, one of Joey's best friends who was helping lead the once James Island campus at the time all this happened. And it never was like a main theme. So when he had his episode, that was when I was able to see kind of the severity of it, that deep level that it was. It was it was very, very intense progression and, and just to, to witness that in person. So all of those years of him talking about it, it just was like, it was pretty shocking, I would say feel like in the past, your struggle with depression could settle in on you for months, but you could still work. You could still do things. It's just like at the end of the day, you were spent like you were getting through the day so you could go to sleep. You'll get used to this voice. It's Joey's wife, Priscilla. What we were experiencing this last year was an inability to sleep, this torturous inability to where your body is so tired, but it won't let you sleep for months. It's just like a form of torture. I remember laying next to you and I would try to go to sleep, but I was so heightened of your every move. And I would just lay there praying so hard, like, please, God, give Joey an ability to sleep tonight. You and I both knew that when you started sleeping, 
medication would start to work better. And then everything will start to take root a little bit because your body's getting rest. Your mind and your body was getting rest. And it was just like, yeah, that, that you was, couldn't get I'd it. Probably try at least three, maybe four different medications until we got to something strong enough to yeah. knock me out. And then when you mentioned like you being in the doctor's office with your head between your knees and then just leaving with no relief. I, I, oh, you say that and it gives me the chills because I just remember how hard it was to even get you in for an appointment to anywhere. First of all, you're kind of on a wait list. You can't just go the very next day. That's what's so frustrating too when you're suffering that badly. It seems like if you're cut open, you're bleeding and you need stitches, you go to the ER and you might have to wait a few hours if it's real bad weight, but you're still going to get help that day. With mental health crisis, it's like you have it, you still have to wait and suffer that long. And that's what was so maddening to me. I felt like a full-time job trying to find the right help. I mean, I probably clocked at least 40 to 50 hours calling, researching, leaving messages. I think I had several appointments scheduled because if you're not a current patient, you have like a two-month waiting period or something crazy like that to get into a really good psychiatrist. I was like, oh my gosh, this is an emergency. And I could not figure out the right path. And so let's say we had to wait three weeks, watching you suffer that badly for three weeks and you go to an appointment. It's so hard not to put so much hope into an appointment, hoping you'd walk away feeling better. And you didn't. I mean, it just takes time. It just takes time and then takes time to figure out what's going to work and waiting and the suffering and the waiting and the suffering and the waiting and the suffering was kind of felt unbearable. But I think when it really hit me that it was going to be bad was it had gone on for like months. And I'd never seen me or you, you know, go that long suffering. So I was like, this is different. And I saw you in the shape you were in and you weren't getting any relief. So and it, it, no matter what we tried, no matter what the doctors tried, it just seemed like we weren't making any headway. That was Joey's dad, Virgil. You'll hear a lot more from him in a bit. Once we realized the severity of what he was going through, it was almost like, okay, we talked about this all of those years so that now we know how to support him. This is Sarah Eller, another close friend, also part of the same church family, an elder at Seacoast for years and worked on staff with Joey as a campus administrator and his assistant. And now we know what to do because he was so open about it. He was not quiet. And like Tim said, he talked about it on church on Sunday mornings in personal conversations in the office. I mean, he knew that he needed support from others. I think that's why he talked about it so much. Everyone deals with something. And that's just what, unfortunately, he has to deal with. But he knew enough previously in all those years and what he's gone through as a child, as a teenager, to talk about it so that the people around him knew how to support him. I remember exactly when it happened for me when I realized it. Is Joey was always a master of like whether he was up or down, he was the same guy Sunday morning a lot of times. You know, it was a very small difference on Sunday mornings between happy Joey and sad Joey. This is Tim McAdams, yet another close friend and also an elder at Seacoast for years talking about Joey, his pastor, needing him. So there was a day in the hallway, giving him, giving him high fives, saying, what's up, man? How are you today? And he just like, he had this look in his face. He said, not good. I am not good today, man. Mm-hmm. I said, what's going on? I don't remember the words he said, something to the degree of battling through it or just trying to push through it. And that was either the last Sunday or the second to last Sunday before he took a break. Can we just come? Can we meet face to face? Can we talk? And when I saw Joey that night that we did that, he was like stone faced. He was just 
flat, flat affect, had a hard time even laughing, had a hard time even cracking a smile because he was, he was beat up. That's when I kind of grasped the severity of it. For me, in my mind, I saw him on Mother's Day and I looked at him and he was so thin, looked different and kind of tears saying, Tim, like he was just a little bit different on Sunday mornings and we're friends. So outside of being at church, when we would talk that morning, I felt like something was going on. I didn't know what it was. And I don't even know if then it had to do with depression. But in my mind, I was like, I feel like something's starting or going on. I don't know what it is. And so then the summer happens. And then I hear from a friend the severity of what was going on. But yeah, once I knew that people were staying at Priscilla's house, Joey was at his parents' house, things were bad and we needed to jump in. Mm-hmm. I remember saying things there. I remember him looking different and being a little bit like, whoa, like he's really thin. Mm-hmm. This is Amy Alderman, another close friend of Joey's and an elder at Seacoast for years. Just thought he was running again. You know, like he goes through those periods of where mm. he like runs a lot, but it was still something yeah. was off. Something was off. Like, right. And I asked him, I said, Joey, what is going on? You've lost so much weight. And he said, well, I've cut out sugar and I started running a lot again. And I was like, okay, well, that makes a lot of sense. And then later, once I knew what really was going on or in my mind, I think that's kind of when it started, maybe a little bit before I was like, I'm the biggest jerk for straight out being like, what's going on? (laughs) But wasn't just his appearance and the weight loss. It was, wasn't really talking to a friend. He was going through the motions. Mm -hmm. It was like a shell. And I remember like, I didn't really know what was going on. And um, we had, and second service, like I'm coming out to go into service. Priscilla was in the lobby and I said, Hey, what's going on? And she just started crying. Mm. Let's get out of the lobby. So like we kind of went Mm. off to the side and I'm like, what? What is going on? And she's just crying and crying like Joey's not okay. And just started to like unpack, like he's staying at my parents' house. He can't sleep. He can't eat. Like he's really depressed. She, I remember so distinctly her looking at me and saying, what if I don't get him back? And I remember grabbing her hand and looking in her eyes and she was terrified. And so then I got scared and I was like, this is real. I think in my mind, I didn't think it was going to last as long as it as it did. And I remember we were organizing this summer event to go to a um, a River Dogs baseball game, and I think it was like maybe two or three weeks before that, where Joey kind of disappeared. He left for the first time. He left a few times. He left for the first time, and I remember we organized it, and the church members were coming out, and I think we got word that Joey was going to come. I was really excited to see him as well, but when he showed up, he looked like a zombie. Nobody really talked to him because they were trying to give him a space. I like, I waved at him. I don't, I don't even think he responded or anything. He sat like away from us and away from, you know, he just kind of like slipped in, sat down for a while. And I think he like slipped out. And and that was the first time it was like very, very physically evident to me. I did notice before then, like as far as like his attention, I would present things to him in the office. It seemed like he just didn't care a lot of times. And that's just not Joey. Like I remember talking to him and saying stuff like, you know, Hey, how are you? And he'd be like, pretty bad. Very matter of fact. Eventually got used to this feeling, but I remember being in Walmart and it's just like, I am just a zombie. Like all I can do is just walk where you walk, stand Mm -hmm. where you stand, sit where you sit because you were talking to someone on on the cell phone about the medicine. And that's, that's all I could do. That's all that I had. And that was mid to late June. And little did I know I would not be back to normal for the holidays. Solid four months. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I do remember that. I remember finding a bench and you just sitting by me and that was sort of the beginning to where I'm like, oh, we'll get out of this. But it it does feel like for you to follow me around, just go, like, I like how you describe that because it is sort of how it felt. And then I would sort of just act fine about it. But on the inside, like deep down, that is what started causing fear inside of me and a little bit of panic. And I had to temper that and I had to look at the bigger picture and not just look at what was right in front of me and decide, great, now our life is over. (laughs) Because you are very even keel and you carry a lot and you are strength for our family. So it, it did feel so odd for you to follow me around and need me so much. Yeah you would say we should just sell the house and move we were going to move to Iowa or something that's where i'm from i'm like i don't have i don't have any f- like close i mean i have family there but like what what do you mean like we're not going to do that relentlessly like you were trying to convince me that we really had to just give up trying to get me to sell things and give up and just get rid of everything cuz we had to go do you remember i would i actually like got on top of him and i like looked at him like what you said like the fierce like we're not doing this we are not selling the house we are not moving anywhere you are going to get better i was almost like in the name of jesus this is not happening like what you're saying is not normal but you just did not have normal thoughts you were obsessed with not being able to support the family the only thing you did wrong was stopping your medication. This is Chip Judd, an additional father figure in Joey and Priscilla's lives, but also friends and an enormous help during this time for Joey and his family. He's a pastor at Seacoast and a licensed therapist. Now, Priscilla and I, you probably don't even know this. We had a conversation or two where we said, when this is over, who's going to kill him first? You or Yes, me? I remember where I was when we talked about this. <laughs> yeah, But here's the deal, Joey. I'm only saying that to say this. Well, you know, I can't be, it can't be a hundred percent, not my fault. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And here's why. When it is clearly physiological, I, I will fight you over trying to take responsibility for that. No disparagement to anybody that's about to be mentioned. You clearly have family history, multi-generational. That's a red flag. You, you have personal lifelong history. That's a red flag. You weren't depressed over something. No, it was 100% your body not working correctly, period. Now, is that always the case? No. Now, it's just we know it's anxiety, but you just, I think you were so elated that you weren't dealing with depression that you didn't want to admit that anxiety was starting to just get worse and worse, but you just so desperately wanted to be off your medication. So you just kept clicking at that speed. Your anxiety kept like amping up each time. And then I could feel that energy and I couldn't quite put my finger on exactly what it was. And here's some examples of a dangerous bout with anxiety. Interestingly, despite the uncomfortable, relentless and deep level of stress, panic attacks are never part of this story. But these examples depict the extent of havoc that can be caused once anxiety is out of control. I was introduced to a whole new world of anxiety. Obviously, anxiety has been interwoven with my depression for years. I just didn't know what it was. But this time around, I mean, I would literally wake up in the morning. Let's just say I slept for two hours. I wake up at six and I immediately think, how am I feeling today? And there are many times I was like, I think I feel okay. And I'm telling you, it'd be like a rush of heat would go from my head to my toe and my legs would immediately start sweating. 
I mean, I've never experienced something mm-hmm. like that. Basically, what my sleep looked like was going to bed around 11, waking up at 1, and I'm done sleeping. And maybe I could go back to bed around 6 and get one more hour Which of sleep. is what caused anxiety for me because I watched you do that, and I knew that you needed sleep for medicine to work. And I'm like, if he's not getting sleep, the medicine's not going to work, and around around we go. And then I would get anxiety about the fact that you weren't sleeping. So the Monday you left for New York, we knew you were going to be gone for like the whole week and you were playing some games with the kids and you're like, Joey, just stop what you're doing playing games. But I was trying to figure out the technology behind a app that would keep the kids from going into pornographic or or a parental ob- observing app. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. And I could not get it to work. There was like some little syncing deal or something. And I'm telling you, I, there was no way I could unlock myself from that and play. Mm-hmm. I knew that I should. I knew that it was family time, but I was like, there is no way I can stop this. And you were being OCD about an app, which you were probably being OCD about, we're not protecting our kids enough. And they're being OCD about, I'm not a good enough parent and we're too lax and they're on their phones too much and OCD about, so I have to get this app done and now I can't get the thing done. Now I can't let it go and work on another time and I can't even spend time with my kids that I feel guilty about not being a good enough parent about because I have to do this app and then around and around you go. I mean... Here's some reflections that hopefully challenge us to rethink the way we use the word pastor. A pastor may be truly gifted and made specifically to be a comfort to others, but pastors need heavy portions of comfort as well. In Joey's story, whether they like it or not, the people who called him pastor would see this come to fruition. Their pastor would be in desperate need of comfort. I think as a congregation or as people, as friends, as someone who attends a church that has a pastor, if we're aware of their humanity, that they are human and know that things can get messy there, even though he's a pastor and like be there for him. In this situation, I think that really became evident, especially in our campus, like people were noticing and they were willing to step up and help, especially those super close to him, obviously that knew from the beginning, but even the second to third circle out that were Mm -hmm. friends, but acquaintances in a sense were starting to notice and then reach out to Amy, who I know Amy's super close to Joey, so let me reach out to her and see how I can help. This was a new dynamic that I was still getting kind of used to, I guess. And for your pastor, not only to go from being on your level from a friend perspective to falling into a position of need. Mm-hmm. So going from high to level with me to in need of me was a very strange time for me. I was happy to embrace the role, but it was eye-opening to see this person who usually is the person that everybody goes to when they're in need and the and the roles kind of switched there. So I found myself in a friend role there. I, I didn't, I felt like I was helping my friend. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like this is my pastor and, and I need to, like, I need to help my friend first and this pastor stuff will take care of itself later. A pastor is a shepherd and pastors who teach at big or small churches aren't always, let's say, shepherd material. It sounds like you have a pastor and Josh Also, through Josh and his wife Lisa's retelling of their perspectives, you'll get a glimpse of what was going on behind the scenes with leadership at Seacoast, everyone wanting to do everything in their power to keep Joey safe. You knew that Josh wasn't going to be able to come into the hospital, but he just decided to work in that area. I probably still have it on my cell phone, but you said, I just want to be near. 
Like you texted me and you were just going to stay there downtown because you were physically close to where he was. Yeah. Yeah. When you guys took him, because you went through the ER and I remember getting that phone call or Marco Polo, whatever it was that you shared that with Lisa. And I had been fairly recently in the same hospital where you were with another friend. So I was like, I don't know how it works. I'm probably not gonna be able to get in, but I'm just going to go down there and hang out downtown and I'll study, work on whatever I got to work on. And if the opportunity comes up to get in, I'll go in. And I did, but I don't think I got in that day because you ended up staying a week. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when you called me, I was downstairs in our kitchen and my phone said, Josh, the rat. I don't remember where you were. I don't know if you were staying with your parents, but yeah. for some reason, as soon as I saw your name, I, I just was like, Oh my God, like what happened yeah. to Joey? And I was like, how, now that I think about it, I'm like, why wouldn't my mom or my sister call me? Like, why would I think Josh Surratt's going to deliver yeah. me bad news or something? Yeah. But it's just like you and I don't call each yeah. other. So that felt. Yeah. So the phone call you're talking about Priscilla. So I, I was at my parents' house. So it was when I started to fall again, really bad. And I just felt like my parents knew, you knew. And it's weird. I got to a point where I didn't even have the energy to do this. But at that point, there was like a sense of comfort just to know that you knew. And I think it was Chip. And I think even Pastor Greg, I think I texted maybe you three. I, it, was, I wish it was us three and Jack. Gotcha. Well, and I remember us sitting at the with our executive group. I don't know if it was you or Jack brought up like, hey, Joey's in trouble. And I just remember having this like, wait, we, we have to go today. And I remember at that point, we had just heard about so many, you know, pastors at that point who just hit the wall and nobody knew and we knew. And so at that point, we were like, this isn't an option. We're going today. Mm-hmm. On one hand, it felt like everybody was just going on as business as usual. And I was the one that brought it up. I was like, guys, we, we've got to talk about this. Uh, and it was a small group of people. And I was like, we've got to talk about this because we've got to help him. Uh, yeah. I had just come home from 40th birthday celebration on which I found out that a friend of yours and someone that I had admired had taken his life. Wow. Yeah. This is something we've got to, to address. And I think it was probably. That day or within a day or two that we ended up coming to meet with you guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, when I texted you guys, that's when you called her. I called Priscilla. I don't know if I told you where I was when I called you. I can't remember. On the toilet? I was on a beach in Hawaii. Oh, that's right. It was maybe four days before Jared took his own life. Uh, and we talked for a long time. I don't know mm-hmm. how long it was, but mm-hmm. we talked for a really long time. And um, that's when I realized, okay... We're going to get home and we're going to find a way to help you. You said like Josh was like in almost problem solve role. Like, I mean, do we need to change his job? I mean, do we need to do it? Oh, when you say that, it, it does remind me. Sometimes I wish I wrote stuff down, but I'm too afraid to go back and sit in that space. <laughs> yeah, I would say we had a very candid conversation kind of even about the wrestling Joey and I have done in different places that maybe weren't so pretty as far as where we were at. And then how, I know it sounds kind of cheesy, but you were just like, you had a lot of care and concern and kindness in your voice. It had nothing. I mean, it's, you say problem solving, but you were in a mode of like, what do we need to do? Well, like, I was what needs to, to happen? Yeah. Who cares about whatever any of this was? Like now we just need I to figure out, to what, figure you out what was stressing Joey. Yeah. And could we remove any of that stuff? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I was wanting to reassure you that we aren't going to fire Joey. We're not like I in the whole journey. I never 
thought Joey's not coming out of this. So when you think about your job, when you think, I was always thinking, how can we remove stress to get Joey better? And then when Joey's better, whether it's the same job you were in at that point, it was like, we'll figure out what Joey's job looks like. That's the least of our concerns right now. Let's figure out how can we take stuff away from Joey that might mm-hmm. help him not carry the stress mm-hmm. that he's carrying. And I think it was Lisa and Priscilla had talked after our executive group meeting. And if I know my wife very well, she insisted that we were going to do this like now. But you kind of, you carried an authority with you that felt like it helped I felt like I could rest a little because then I felt like if I feel a little overwhelmed, I feel like I can call you. Does that make sense? I mean, it definitely does. And I appreciate you saying that. I mean, honestly, I really think the Holy Spirit was a huge part of that because it's hard to describe, but it was this like righteous anger of like, huh, uh, enemy, you aren't taking this guy down and you're not taking their family down. Like you want to, you want to (laughs) go? I'm ready. Yeah. (laughs) Like I'm gloves off. Here we go. And what's interesting too, Priscilla mentioned our, just our getting involved in it and Lisa's eightness, you know, bringing to the table. But we felt like up until that point, all of the updates that I got were either on a group text that Joey sent or through another person on our staff who was handling it and doing a good job with it. Mm -hmm. But as soon as we got home and realized the severity of it, I'm a pretty good delegator, maybe to a fault, but I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that this was our thing to lead. And I told our team, I said, this is Lisa and I are going to get involved. If it goes, you know, if it doesn't go well, we'll take responsibility for it. But we just felt like we were called to serve you guys during this time. And part of it was me knowing that I did have the authority to say, hey, don't worry about the job. We're not taking this to HR. This isn't an HR issue. <laughs> this is like a health issue. And if, if we had somebody that was in a bad car accident and we knew it was going to be a long road to recovery, we're not going to bring HR to the hospital room to talk to them about that. And I knew having her at my side, like I knew that we could, because she's a bulldog. I mean, I don't know if we told you this, but she put on her calendar on her phone and it came up every day until she just got a new phone a couple weeks ago. It drove me crazy. <laughs> every day. It was a reminder set every day. Check on Joey and Priscilla. Like popped up on our calendar. And it was like, you can't do that for everybody, right? But right. we knew that we were called to do it. There's a lot we couldn't help you with. We couldn't figure out, but it was like, we just knew we were supposed to get involved. You were very like bravely unafraid to stand with us. I will say when you go through something that looks that scary, cause he didn't, he didn't look like him. You guys saw somebody at like something else. I could see that in people's eyes sometimes, like they would be caring but like they looked scared. Then I have to be like, I'm not going to be scared. But to have somebody else walk in the room and not be scared with me (laughs) was really important. You've got to remember how obsessed I was with losing the house. I mean, I talked to you about that probably two or three times, maybe more. When when I would say stuff like that, did you recognize that's probably part of the sickness that he keeps talking about that? Or Yeah. And it wasn't just that. You talked about losing the house. There were a number of other factors going on in your life at that point. Right. And what I realized, especially at the hospital when we were talking, because I am a, like, if there's anything that God has wired me to do, it's to be hopeful. It's to give hope to people. Like if I had like a single word that would summarize what I feel like I'm supposed to do with my life, it's to help people be hopeful about the future. And it wouldn't work with you. (laughs) It's frustrating because I'm like, you would talk about (laughs) 
<laughs> the house and your job and supporting the family. And I would be like, Joey, you're not losing your job. You're not going to lose your house. You, we'll figure that out. Any hopeful word that I said to you, it wouldn't register. Like it didn't stick. But the stuff that was stressing you, it's all you could think about. Maybe if there's somebody listening that that has someone they love that's there, or that. But I do think that's, and you you know a lot more about it. But you could just tell something's not clicking right because what I'm saying is making sense. Right. What I'm saying should give you hope. It should help you to see, but it's not. It's one of those times when Priscilla and I are are on the phone to to you, and you know we're home, but we're not finished talking, so we just kept driving around the neighborhood, driving around the neighborhood, and now I I hear that conversation playing out, and I can understand what you guys were going through, but y'all y'all were literally trying to convince someone who was on a different planet that things are not as bad as I'm saying they are. E- everything you said meant nothing. Like what you guys were saying could not convince me that the planet that I was living on <laughs> was was the right planet and you guys just couldn't see it. In actuality, I was 100% convinced of that. And mm-hmm. here I am out of that. And I'm like, you guys were right things were not that bad. And I, I think that's what people, I don't fault them for not being able to wrap their mind around that. That You can't explain that. You, you, you don't know what that's like until you've actually experienced not being think, able to think well. I knew Joey's mind was fine, but his brain that houses your mind, your soul, if you will, and always through that whole thing, But the mechanism, the part of our being, the organ through which our soul communicates itself, processes itself, feels, thinks, decides that your mind was fine, your brain was not. And if people would just realize, you know, the brain's a pile of mush. It runs by chemicals and electricity. And you know what? Sometimes its wires get crossed and it doesn't do its job well. The, the soul that's inside that person, it's got to be feel awful to them. And I've got had a small taste of it. But I know if we can get the brain back on track, the mind that's in there is going to come back out like the person we always knew. Mm-hmm. I think what I'm trying to say, and it's probably just a point of failure in the church's part, is thinking that what we have in Scripture and in Jesus is all that you needed to get better. But it wasn't because the the brain that you have, and you said this when you spoke at a prayer service this year, you said that the, the, the organ with which God uses to, for us to process our spirituality and you know mm-hmm. our relationship with him was broken. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's where I was just like, man, this isn't working. You know, right. like I'm, I, I can't help your brain. I, I can hopefully get you in the right environment and whatever resources we can do. I don't have the expertise. And I think it was a good thing for me to go, you know what? This is something that is going to require partnership of therapy and of medicine and of spirituality and of all of it because my part wasn't helping. I feel a little less negative about now. I do think standing up on a stage talking about how it's the demon in you, you just have to be careful, especially if you've never experienced that, because that is actually a very shaming thing. And that makes people shrink and embarrassed and not reach out for help. And so I don't know if anyone's listening right now and they teach on mental illness and have never experienced, please do not teach like that. It does, it does harm or teach about how, yeah, there's mental illness, but guess what? we're off medication now and it's a miracle. And then like, that's the only way you ever teach about mental illness. That's very shameful. There are people 
that have tried that like us, and it almost took you away forever. That's a very dangerous way to teach sometimes. I mean, God is amazing, can do miracles, but every person that has to do medication for severe depression wishes they didn't have to take the medication. I just, just be careful. Like, please don't talk like it's just so easy and all you have to do is trust harder. I feel like there's a lot of people who have really strong faith that believe like, well, you have anxiety. Well, you just need to pray harder. What if you had a heart attack? Like, should we just not treat it? God gave us the tools mm-hmm. to be able to treat things. And yep. you, you wouldn't feel ashamed about taking blood pressure medicine because you had a blood pressure problem. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't feel ashamed about getting a cast if your arm was broken. You know, that that is something that I just think is so frustrating to me. There's so much stigma and, you know, with mental health, that it's like, no, 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 your brain, it's sick. And we need to get you the medicine that you need to get it well. Well, this goes on much longer. He's going to lose what little hope he might have. You know? Right, right. I remember continually saying to you and mom, I'm just petrified. I'm not going to get any better. Yeah, because I remember that. It was just like I was doing everything that I needed to do. And I just wasn't finding any relief. And I was like, is it possible for your brain just not to be able to? Yeah, just snap and not get back. Yeah. That's what I knew I needed. It was kind of, this is going to be a funny little comparison, but I remember when I dealt with a little bit of postpartum when I had our third kiddo, William, and I also was having a hard time with breastfeeding and getting him on a schedule and it just seemed harder than the other two. I remember Dr. Clifford saying, do what you need to do because you need to be healthy for the kids. Like sometimes a mom will be like, well, I, ha- I have to breastfeed no matter how hard it is for me. That was like really hard for me to make different decisions that I thought would be best for him, but my health was also important. I just, you know, during that time, I was kind of trying to make it seem like everything was going to be okay. And deep down, I thought everything was going to be okay, but it was a really long journey. So having you in the house and then having the kids, our house is usually loud with lots of people over all the time. And I was trying to keep it quieter. It was summer, so the kids are home a lot. And trying to care for you And then also with the kids trying to make it seem like everything's normal. Also trying to explain the kids why you're resting. And it felt like a really hard balance. And it felt like it's going to get harder on the kids. This is why I felt like it would be best if you were at Barber and Virgil's. And I don't know if you remember, originally you you were not okay with that. You did not like that idea at all. You felt like you were getting kicked out of the house and I was not kicking you out. And I was doing that for you. I did not want the kids to remember you like that. It felt like I knew that was the right thing and it felt bad. Because once I was over there, it was hard to come back. Just, yes. Just like the hospital. So it was almost like you were too scared to come home because you had to like enter back in. And so you needed to try to not have your world get small to where you didn't have people around you. But at the same time, when your suffering was so intense, I just, I just didn't want the kids to remember. I didn't want them to have visuals and memories like that. I mean, they're going to have memories. and Well, once I did wrap my mind around it and did agree, I think for me too, it was also everything that you said as far as me not wanting the kids to see me that way, but also recognizing that I am so burdened with anxiety and depression and all that stuff 
I didn't need one more thing to fuel that, which is worrying about my kids seeing me this way and putting pressure on myself to be a dad while I'm home. And I think some people might say that could help pull you out, which I would agree with that. But we were at a place where, I mean, when you're literally, you're, you're writhing, like you look like someone just stabbed you, like you're writhing in pain on the ground. Like that, that was a different level of not just fucking up and being a dad. Like that was a totally different spot. And I'll say for me too, I wasn't getting sleep because I would lay there wondering if you were getting sleep and you weren't getting sleep. And so then every night that I could tell you weren't sleeping, then I would get nervous and I wouldn't get sleep. I just remember worrying like our kids cannot have both parents. Not okay. You sobbed uncontrollably saying things like, am I ever going to get over this? Am I ever going to get back to my normal self? You know, things like that and just writhing in pain. This is Joey's dad again, Virgil, talking about the long stints of time Joey lived with them during the crisis. Joey living with his wife and kids wasn't the healthiest option anymore for everyone involved. Virgil reflects on some of that time Joey lived back at home again with mom and dad. And I'm telling you what, I, I think mental pain to me is worse than physical pain. Because mental pain, you never know how long it's going to last and when you're going to get out of it. It was was just a measure of survival at that time. But I remember something was happening that I was really worried. And so you came over and I remember opening the door and... I mean, I'll probably get emotional saying it because it's just such a sweet visual too. But Virgil, you said, where is he? And this is a little bit of where you're always so laid back and you're like... (laughs) On the outside. (laughs) I know this sounds silly to say because you're like my elder, but you're such a precious person. You have like all that Ethel in you, your mom. Mm. And But when you have like that leveled up of like kind of a fierceness, you had that, but still your tenderness, you're like, where is he? And I was like, he's upstairs. And so he goes upstairs into here. It's like right here. But Joey was on the floor and you just got, I mean, you immediately got down on the floor with him so he could see you. And you were just laying there with him, talking to him, giving him hope. I don't know if he was receiving the hope, but you were just feeding him hope and love. And I'll just never forget what that looked like. Yeah, that's what, in my experience, that's what people need. And that's what I always needed. Somebody just giving me hope. You know, I knew that's what Joey needed at that time. Just the metaphor that that represents too also is someone being willing to get down there with you in your pain, getting on ground level with someone. The depression got worse. But early on, I just was sobbing all the time. And I remember it was just me and mom at home. And she had a heart, you know, if if I'm if I'm sobbing, she needs to sit next to me. And I mean, there's one time where she just it was almost like a angry, frustrated prayer. And Mm. I asked her, I said, Is this too hard for me to be here? And she's like, No, 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 no. Mm. But that's Mama Bear and Barbara. She's like (laughs) So she'll fight any way she can for her people. Oh, a couple of times she did say things like, uh, I just don't believe that God is not answering us yet, not doing something. You know, she'd get mad. And I'd have to say, look, Barbara, you know, we've been through this before with me and you just got to give this some time, you know, but she would get over that and come back to reality yeah. and not beat me up or anything. <laughs> Mama <laughs> Bear was pissed up. at God, boy. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. It doesn't matter whoever is messing with their son, like a person, a friend, God. (laughs) And Barbara's not like that. I mean, she is so sacred and being defensive of God. I mean, defending God through anything. But boy, this time she was really pissed. Mm -hmm. Really reserve any kind of uh, judgments on people that are suffering from severe depression. I mean, if they haven't experienced it for themselves, they, they just really 
should have the wisdom to not think anything negative of them at all and give them a chance to heal slowly and methodically. And I mean, and the only way they're ever going to know this is to know a few things. And I mean, people that are severely depressed, they don't feel like there's any way out. They feel hopeless. Mm-hmm. It feels unbearable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you think it's going to be endless. You never get any relief, except if you can go to sleep. You feel awful about what it's doing to your wife and your kids. You're scared of losing your job. You're scared of going to a mental institution. You're afraid of the future and how this might end. You're afraid of, of never finding a successful treatment. So, I mean, until they've experienced these kind of things, they just really need to be more sensitive. The word that comes to me is dignity. If I were going through something like that, I would not want you to treat me like I'm now just, I have no thoughts. I have no reason. I have no ability at all. I would like for you to take over when you know that I'm sick. I, I guess Chip call it like right now his brain is broken. And it's getting fixed, but it's going to take, I mean, just like if your body gets broken in a really bad car accident, you don't start running next week. So it takes a while to heal from something like that. But every time I have a visual, every time I think about you in the hospital or just these different experiences I had that were so frustrating is the word dignity. That is something that needs to be improved when it comes to mental health, when it comes to mental health care, when it comes to society, when it comes to stigmatism. Like, I just want everyone to remember the word dignity when you are either going through it, know that you are allowed to and have a right to be treated with dignity. And if you are helping someone, remember the word dignity when you're interacting with them. Because the person I married is an amazing person. And I was thinking this the other day, like, you know, you officiated a wedding a few weeks ago, like, in sickness and in health. Like, I think sometimes when we're young and you stand there and you're making those promises to each other, you have no idea what sort of trials are coming or what sort of sickness is actually something we're going to be there for, for each other. And what if it's paralyzation? What if it's, Mm -hmm. I mean, you were mentally paralyzed for a while. Didn't mean you aren't allowed to be treated with dignity. When I first start going there, I want to say you can maybe score a 25 maybe. And I mean, I was hitting four, five, six. Joey did rounds of electroconvulsive therapy or ECT treatments. You'll have to Google it. Although medically safe, it's an extreme measure to combat depression that involves inducing seizures in the patient after they have been put to sleep. Three days or a week before each 10 minute treatment, Joey would fill out a pretty standardized depression screening. Answer to these questions would guesstimate the level of depression one was experiencing. Yeah, Yeah, do you remember remember the number scale? Because I think I messaged people and I remember you were about the lowest you could possibly go. The numbers were so low. Yeah. Having a medical measurement of where you were at was very sobering. I mean, we knew it and we felt it, but to have a measurement like that with all these professionals They asked the same questions every time. So that was a baseline. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember that for sure. I left the office... Not freaking out, but one of the questions I asked Lisa on the way home is I said, we've got to figure out if he's got any access to a weapon that could harm him. Because I I just realized you're in a really hard place. I I hate to even verbalize this, but I'll feel really crazy and and awful if I didn't Mm -hmm. verbalize it. And um, so I think we just came home going, okay, he's, he's not in a good place and he needs help. This is going to be, that's when she put the reminder in her phone. When he had become suicidal, I think to me, like that just was too much. 
That was too much for me. Whether it was four months or four years, Joey would be back. Um, the question is, would he be in the same situation? Would he still be married to Priscilla? Would he still be pastor of our church? Like, what was it going to look like when he came back? And I felt to a degree that that depended on how long it took him. And that was a scary thought to have. I was like, so I felt that there was an urgency. He needed to hurry up. But what does hurry up look like when you're mentally ill? Who knows? You know, all of us, our hands were kind of tied and, and to a degree with all of that. So we could feel the sense of urgency, but it didn't. It's, it's not like we were running the race. We were watching our friend run the race. Like I have my own testimony now to just how powerful hope is. I mean, oh my gosh, I could not be yoked with anyone without it. Yeah. If you did not have hope for my husband... We can't work together. <laughs> yeah. So do you remember when he came back? But I feel like it was he was going to close and he decided to open. And when he got up there, he said, no, if there's anybody in here who I haven't been here for a while, so I don't even know if you know who I am, but I'm Joey Svensson, the campus pastor. And everyone rose to their feet and there was a round of applause. Mm. And it was it was a minute. And I remember I was in the back and just tears tears, tears, yeah. and just being like, what a gracious welcome home. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? It just gave me like this proud sense of our church. Yeah, the church was going to go on to, not to go on without Joey, but he built such a fa- strong foundation. You know, our whole goal is like the advancement of the kingdom and encouraging, inspiring people and that capacity to advance the kingdom, whether we're here or not. And I saw that. That's what it felt like. Relationships can be a beautiful part of struggle. The deeper connections you have with loved ones, these connections haven't always been there, just never seen in this unique light. Let's say you don't have somebody in your family that deals with mental illness and you have a little bit of margin in your life where you, and you kind of like to help people. Think about what it'd be like to join up with somebody who's having to deal with the mental health arena and all you did was walk them from place to place to get them the care they needed. Somebody that's all they need. They just need someone that'll make that phone call for them. So all I'm saying is we can all help with this. There's some people out there listening that they don't deal with it. They don't have somebody that close that deals with it, but they know somebody that does. Be a yeah. friend. Be a friend, man. Be 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 flesh. You know, you some of the places that were were sought out. He wasn't treated with dignity, et cetera. Wasn't treated, in my opinion, efficiently and uh, in a timely fashion and whatever, whatever. Here's a thought from me. One person. One person who's aware, alert, present, makes eye contact. They really hear you. One person in the, in the middle of all of that is all it takes sometimes. And I'm saying that to just to all of us. How do you know that you're not the one person that's going to make that process feel more human? Yes, that, that's so good. Because I remember a male nurse that was oh, there. Everyone felt busy and he was looking me into, like he was looking at me. All I could see were the hands and feet of Christ throughout this whole scenario. Like I just saw so many people tell me how I can help. Like my daughter was a senior in college, my oldest, and she purposely, because it's her senior year, she said, I'm not going to have any classes before noon. Like I'm a senior. Why not? She called Priscilla. I didn't even know. She called Priscilla and said, what can I do? How can I help you? And of course, Joey couldn't drive at the time. So she said, can you take my two youngest to elementary school, picking them up at like seven o'clock in the morning and she said done so all of a sudden my kid is getting up mm. and driving over there and taking her children to school and loving every minute of it and enjoying them like once or twice or maybe three times a week people like jack hoy would talk to me in the morning sometimes on the way to work because i didn't have any margin of time because when i was at work i didn't have any breaks hardly and then after work i'm with my kids 
I mean, when you were in the hospital for a week, his name was Dr. Lewis. He figured out what my schedule was and he would he would call me at 7.15 in the morning on my ride to work. I would have Gwenny put her AirPods in her ears so she would have music and then I would talk to him on the way to work for my 20 minute update on how Joey was doing. <laughs> I mean, it's just like I had an amazing doctor that was caring for Joey in the hospital. I had you guys that had the immense amount of hope and fierceness that were like, we're getting through this. And I had this amazing campus family and my sister and even our kids were amazingly resilient and just how they were there for each other and his parents and my parents. And I mean, I just... Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. And don't forget, my brothers and sisters, what he said. In this world, trouble is guaranteed, but let's really try and take heart that God has overcome it all. These discussions on mental health will continue next week and go through the month of May, Mental Health Awareness Month. 